I'm so glad to be with you again. We've had a wonderful time in past weeks looking at the vineyard, or more particularly we title it My Vineyard, because the vineyard, according to both the Old Testament and the New, is God's vineyard. Whether it's the human heart given over to him by faith, or whether it's the nation of Israel, or the kingdom of God, or the calling of God on our lives as individuals. We are part of his great vineyard. We're moving along to a new theme today. Let's look at the Psalms. That's right, I'm turning to Psalm 55. This is a great favourite of mine, and it's been a favourite of many. It's one of the Psalms of David. And, of course, David was a man of great passion, a great man who loved God. He made many mistakes in his life. And it's so easy to hearken and talk about those, to be absolutely absorbed in failures. We do it so, so often as human beings. I don't know whether it's a cover-up of our own misgivings and our own failings and our own shortcomings, but we like to highlight or we like to talk about or we like to focus on other people. You know, he sometimes will say, well, I'm not that bad. Look at him or look at her. And we're told in the scriptures not to compare ourselves one with the other. David was a man whose saving virtue was his humility before God. And though he committed many, many, well, terrible sins, really, and violated the will and the purpose of God, and yet God was still able to say, he's a man after my own heart. Because when David was confronted with his sin, especially with and by Nathan the prophet, he immediately repented before God in a very, very real and sincere way. And you'll remember that psalm of repentance. It's found in Psalm 51. And there he cries, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. That's the place to start. That's the basis of repentance. When we acknowledge our willfulness, our deliberateness, in sinning, and we openly confess before God, yes, Lord, we are what you say, and we did what you say we shouldn't have done, and we confess that before you. Openness and humility before God is the threshold of change by repentance, by turning away from that sin. He wanted to be purged. He wanted to be washed. He wanted again to hear the joy of the Lord and know the gladness of heart. He wanted a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. Verse 10 of Psalm 51. Or renew a steadfast spirit. You see, he had a wandering spirit and he wanted a steadfast spirit. Now, later on, he was to say these words in Psalm 54, God is my helper. 
The Lord is with those who uphold my life, and he will repay my enemies for their evil. He will cut them off in his truth, and I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Psalm 54 and verses 4 through to 6. And then his testimony in verse 7 is, For he has delivered me out of all trouble. So the prayer of penitence, the prayer of repentance, the change that he cried and craved for was answered. And then in Psalm 55 we have another aspect of David as he contemplates God, as he waits upon God. Now this is a man who, though was greatly beloved in the nation, well, unfortunately disappointed the nation because the Bible says they were fully aware of his sin with Bathsheba. And many would have known, oh yes, they would have known his command that Uriah face death and be killed. What a terrible thing to have on your conscience. That's why he was saying, my sin is ever before me. Sensitive people feel keenly and deeply the sins of their heart and life. That itself is commendable, but one has to be very, very careful that you don't carry that burden when Christ came to bear our burdens. Come unto me, says Jesus, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a beautiful, a beautiful verse in Psalm 55, and it's this. It's found in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. That means he shall undergird you. He shall strengthen you. He shall pour into your spirit sustaining grace. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a pretty wonderful promise, isn't it? And what a statement. He shall never, ever, ever permit the righteous to be shaken and moved. Well, what's the theme that we're beginning to notice here? Well, I want to talk to you today and possibly in our next episode about casting that aggressive faith action or that action of faith, where we deliberately take something that is not of God, that is not pleasing to him, may be an enemy of his, and we thrust it far from us. It's all to do with walking by faith. Now, of course, faith has many, many shades many aspects, many facets, just like a diamond. When you look at it, it's cut so that it can reflect the light. And 
each aspect will shine with the beauty of the light of the sun or artificial light. It'll catch the diamond and you're amazed and held in wonder. And it's a, a very beautiful thing to behold. Faith is like that. The light of God's word comes upon it. And there are various aspects of faith. There is the redemptive faith, which is a resting faith, where we are resting totally, absolutely, securely in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And where he said, it is finished, we are saying in our faith, a hearty amen to that. And our total and complete reliance is that he has purchased our redemption with the shedding of his blood. And we rest in that. It's a type of Sabbath where in the Hebrew times and today for those that are observant, both Jews and others, the Sabbath is a day that is sanctified apart from every other day where one takes rest. And depending on the severity of the demands of your religion, if it's uh, Orthodox Jewry, then you will be very, very religious about not lifting your hand to do anything. You won't cook a meal. It's all pre-prepared and you just place it on the table. You won't walk a certain distance beyond the Sabbath mile. And so it is that it's a resting, a complete rest, which is likened to the rest that we have in God, where we cannot add anything to his redemption on our behalf. We know that his blood was shed for us. His love was outpoured towards us. We are his and only his. And we do not recognize any works of the flesh that will commend us to God. We are reliant totally upon his love and his care for us and his purchase of our salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross, proved by the resurrection. He was raised for our justification. We're justified in believing because Christ was raised from the dead. So we have a resting faith. We also have a ruthless faith. Did you know faith can be ruthless? It's got to be. It's got to be. Why would it be necessary to have a faith that is ruthless, because in our nature, there is a tendency to rise up and want to do a number of things to commend ourselves to God. Some people will say they're serving God because they want to please him. Friends, you are already the pleasure of God. You don't have to add works of sacrifice. That will bring blessing. That will bring favor. That will bring acknowledgement of the Lord. But you can't make him love you any more than he does. A ruthless faith attacks those things that are detrimental 
to our walk with God and our walk in God. And we become ruthless over unbelief. We become ruthless with the works of the flesh. That's why we are to kill or deaden those misdeeds and those attitudes that we carry with that bias towards sin. And so we have a ruthlessness and we're able to say with the Apostle Paul, I die daily. Well, what do we die to? Well, we're dying to those appetites, those desires, those tendencies to live the life and think the thoughts and have the attitudes that governed our lives before we came to Christ. So there's the resting faith and the ruthless faith. And then there's the faith that is relentless. Relentless faith. What's that? Well, that's a continuing faith. Whatever the battle, whatever the temptation not to believe, we relentlessly pursue God, believing and rising above that subtle whisper of unbelief that comes into our spirit, that whisper of the serpent through our darkened soul. Yes, we are subject often to his overtures. The evil one talks to us and he tries to cajole, he tries to in some way insinuate himself into our lives and he tries to seduce us to not believe. And many times God will give you a promise, both personally and in redemption. And he will say to you, this is my plan for you. This is my love for you. This is my will for you. This is my promise to you. This is the gift I'm giving to you. We embrace it. We, we love it. We, we say, oh, thank you, Lord. And then it seems that it's not happening. And the tendency is to draw back into the shadows of the carnal mind and say within ourselves, why isn't it happening? Why isn't God fulfilling his promise? Can we truly trust him? Or has he let us down? Has God said something, but he didn't really mean it? Sadly, we've all been in that state. And oftentimes in my youth, I would say, well, maybe it was me. Maybe I didn't really hear the voice of God. Maybe it was my desire. Now that paves the way for unbelief. And the enemy starts saying, yes, you can't hear from God. You're no good. You are isolated from God. God doesn't love you. You are not special to God. God didn't say that to you. And of course, he's got us there as a target. But then, then there is something more sinister where he begins to blaspheme, discredit, and to insult God. Oh, God can't be trusted. You have to put into process those things that he's given to you. you. You don't believe God. He's got other things to do, other people to visit. Why would he be interested in you? So we need relentless faith. 
I love the words of the Apostle Paul in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, where in the midst of a storm that looked as though it would plunge the ship that they were on down into the depths of the ocean and they'd all be drowned, the Apostle Paul comes out and speaks to the captain and the crew and he says, the angel of the Lord who I serve came and stood with me last night and he said these words to me and I believe God, we will be saved. Well, the storm was raging. The waves were coming over the bow of the boat. It was plunging down into the sea and up and it was being tossed about and they could hear the creaking of the, the boards of the boat and the rigging was being ripped by the winds. And he says, I believe God. That's relentless faith. And of course, part of that is this resistant faith, a faith that is resistant to the enemy. And we're going to look at that a little bit later on from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, resistant faith, where our faith is resisted by the devil, by our flesh. We are resistant to that assault of unbelief, whether it comes with a loud and dragon-like cry or whether it's subtle like a snake hissing through the undergrowth. Whichever way it comes, that unbelief has to be dealt with and resist it. And the Bible says, resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, and you will overcome him, or he will flee from you. And then there's rewarded faith. You know, faith is rewarded by God's favor and the fulfillment of his promise. And we serve him gladly, and honorably when we glorify him well before we see the tangible evidence of what he has promised we are praising him for that now did you notice in psalm 55 that wonderful word that is hidden almost in that 22nd verse cast your burden on the lord and he shall sustain you. That word cast comes to me like a bullet into my heart. Cast. You see, that's a strong, aggressive word. And in the Old Testament, you will find that that word cast means to throw, to fling down, to overthrow. It's an action word. It's not passive, it's active. It's picking up something and casting it down or casting it out decisively, deliberately, diligently, and with discrimination. That is defining what it is, knowing what it is, and casting it away from you. You know what it's like when you meet someone that's perpetually burdened they're completely under the power of the burden. Maybe it's the burden from their past. They have guilt. They have shame. 
They can't undo what they did. They are ashamed of it. They're sorry for it. And they live in the past and they have a terrible sense of perpetual guilt. And they just feel that it's a burden. And when you speak to them, they are somehow browbeaten and compressed, bound, actually bound. And that is very, very sad to me. And I meet a lot of people. And, you know, in those people, I find a terrific percentage of people that are still bound, even though they claim to be born again Christians. Now, the gospel is prophesied by Isaiah in the 61st chapter. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. There are a lot of captives. Maybe I'm talking to one. Maybe you're a captive. You're a captive of your past. Every now and again, it comes up to haunt you and you feel terribly guilt-ridden and you're reflective on it and you draw upon it and you beat yourself up over it and berate yourself. And when anybody commends you or says something positive about you, you tend to recoil and you think in yourself, if only they knew what I'm really like. Well, God knows what you really like, and God loves you, and with an everlasting love. You have got to take that burden of guilt and shame, and you have got to cast it. But where do you cast it? <laughs> well, the Bible says you cast your burden on the Lord. You take it to him. You say, I bring you this guilt that's plagued me for years. And though I've accepted your forgiveness, I'm still driven by self-hate, self-recrimination. And I believe everything negative about myself because I know what I've been. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. I know with whom I've been. And I know what I've said and done. And I'm so ashamed and I'm riddled with self-doubt. You've got to pick up that burden and you've got to cast it from you to the Lord and step back so it doesn't do a boomerang and come back and fasten itself to you. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Again, that action word, decisive, determined, diligent, discriminating and saying, hey, this is an attack of Satan to keep me bound, to keep me hindered, to keep me inhibited, to keep me from being able to walk forward and do exploits for God. You find it so easy to accommodate negativity in your life. Well, you're to be very, very careful about carrying a burden that Christ died in order for you to be free from. And then the Bible says something very, very important. And that is sometimes it's, and this is the context of Psalm 55, there are people that will put burdens on you. There are people that will slander you. They will whisper about you. God hates that, you know. 
God hates people slandering, gossiping, undermining, sharing, speaking negatively of the brotherhood. He hates it, absolutely hates it, forbids it in fact. And the Apostle Paul in Romans says, have nothing to do with people like that. I shocked a Christian lady not so long ago when she rang me and said, uh, I'm going to see you, I hope to see you, I'm in town, I'm visiting. I said, oh, where are you going to be? Well, she said, I can't see you at the time you suggested when I first mentioned that I was coming because I'm going to be with a group of people. And when I heard who they were, I knew them to be a gossipy group of slandering people who had slandered without any conscience pastors and elders and deacons and godly people and who had no conscience whatsoever about doing so. They were objectionable people who just would talk about people and had no feeling of guilt before God and on the following Lord's Day would have their hands raised praising him, but as soon as they were together, they would be off again and they would be denuding people of their self-respect. Did you know what they said? Did you know what they did? Did you know? And, and so it would go on. I said, are you going to go and see those people before you come and see me? Yes, she said, I am. Well, I said, don't bother coming and seeing me. Oh, she said, that's not very Christian. Oh, I said, quite the contrary. It's very, very Christian. It's according to the scriptures. Oh, she said, where does it say that? And I said, oh, don't you know? Well, this is what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 16 and verse 17. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And the smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of people. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. In other words, be simple about it. If you're congregating with people that are gossiping people, then distance yourself from it. And if you won't, don't bother coming seeing me. I don't want to be listening to what you've picked up and what you've heard around the coffee table. I don't want you coming into my house and telling me what you've heard and seen and what you now know about this one, that one, and someone else. I don't care what you know about me. I don't want to know about anybody else. So sometimes there are people that will load you with burdens. Cast your burden on the Lord. Now Mark's Gospel talks about another form of casting too. And we will just commence this and go on with it in our next episode. The great commission that Jesus gave to all his disciples, not just the apostles, is this. Go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. Wow! Now this was the hallmark of Jesus' ministry when he was amongst us on earth 2,000 years ago. He preached the whole counsel of God. He taught the scriptures with authority that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't have, and he healed the sick and he cast out demons. Cast them out. Yes, he used that aggressive faith that he caused those demons who trembled at his presence to depart and be no longer the inhabitant of human beings who God loves and has a plan and purpose for. Casting forth, casting over, casting out, casting the key to aggressive faith.